The following talk, The Attraction Factor, Six Ways to Maximize Your Appeal, was presented by Lisa Duffy at the 12th National Catholic Singles Conference held in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, September 27th through 29th, 2013. And now, Lisa Duffy. Good morning. What a beautiful group of people. And I was here last night for Father's Talk, which was amazing. And um, I just thought, wow, what a great opportunity for single people. Uh, I was telling Robin earlier this morning that when I was single and I was living in Connecticut, the options for, you know, finding someone was pretty much zero. It was a bar or nothing. I worked at a great place, but it was full of really nice Catholic families and priests and brothers, which was (laughs) a great environment to work in. But there were no single people. I would go to daily mass at St. Mary's in New Haven and hopefully bump into someone tall, dark, and handsome there. But, um, you know, that wasn't what God had planned. So I, like you, had to learn to be patient and trust him with my life. And that's one of the reasons why I'm here to talk to you today. But I would, if you don't mind, like to begin with a quick prayer to the Holy Spirit to guide our thoughts and our conversation. So if you don't mind joining me, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. You send forth your Spirit, and things are created, and you will renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, you instructed the hearts of your faithful people by sending us the light of the Holy Spirit. In that same Spirit, give us right judgment and the joy of your consolation. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. And Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's very exciting for me to be here. I've been preparing for this talk for a long time. Single people, whether you've never been married, whether you're widowed or a widower, whether you're divorced, you're a community that's very, very close to my heart because I lived a significant portion of my life being single and being single after divorce. So the first thing that I want to say is This actually, being single, is a very, very exciting time in your life. And I know you may not agree with that at this point. Maybe you feel like you've been in the waiting room of a doctor's office waiting for your name to be called so you can see the doctor and get some attention. And everybody seems to be called before you. And maybe you feel like you are the last one in the waiting room. And I just want to tell you it's okay because... There is a reason why God has you where he has you. He loves you with perfect love, and he has a plan for you. And if you can just trust him and be patient, but also do your part, then I believe that you will find that God has great things in store for you, no matter what is going on now. And so we're going to talk about some aspects of this. I call it the attraction factor. There are things in life that we can control and things that we can't. And oftentimes we get very riled up over the things that we can't control. I mean, just watch the news. I get pretty riled up when I watch the news because I can't control it. But there are things that we can control. And if you're single and if you would like to meet someone special, there are things that you can control. And I call those things the attraction factors. Just with a show of hands... Who would like to have a romantic relationship that leads to marriage? Just a show of hands. 
Excellent. One, two, okay, everybody, pretty much. Yes. Excellent. That's great. So if you don't mind, if you could just write down the reason why you would like that relationship. Just take a second to do that. Excellent. Okay. And if you're not finished, go ahead and keep writing. But would anybody like to share their answer? What is that reason that you would like to get married or find that relationship that will lead to marriage? Yes. Okay, you would like to live in a relationship with mutual love, affection, and support. Isn't that beautiful? Men, there you go. There's a, a wonderful girl right there. <laughs> I, and, you know, there are plenty of people who get married without that kind of beautiful response to a relationship. So that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing. Would anyone, yes, to define my other half who will help me grow spiritually and in holiness. Wow, that's beautiful. That's wonderful. I love it. And this is right along the lines of what I'm getting at, which is marriage should be about getting each other to heaven. Now I'm going to step back for a second and say that think about your early education days in the faith. How many people grew up with the Baltimore Catechism? And there was a question there, why did God make us? And to be happy with him in heaven, yes. So basically, would it be fair to say that everything we do in life should be helping us take a step toward heaven, yes? Do you agree? Excellent. Okay. So it stands to reason that when you date and you are looking for a relationship and you get married, that you should be getting each other to heaven. That's the goal. And actually, you know, that's the fun goal. When you're single, you're doing it by yourself. When you're married or engaged or dating, you're doing it together. So we have dating. Dating is the time where you find out if you are suitable for marriage with each other. Okay? It sounds a little bit elementary or maybe a little bit um, harsh, but, you know, today... In society, we have a very distorted view, or many people do, of what marriage is all I and mean, what dating is all about. We have the hookup culture. We've got um, some scary scenarios going on at, at colleges all over the country. Um, my seventh grade daughter is asked out a lot, and um, she, I'm just like, why are you dating? You know, why do you think you can date this person? Are you ready to be married? No. So there's no reason for her to date, even though her friends are, and her friends are getting into troublesome situations. In the sixth and seventh grade, it's very sad. So it's really important to remember why we're dating. You know, at first, it's, it's, it should be light and happy and fun, and then it should also be focused on finding out, is this man, is this woman someone that I want to live the rest of my life with? And it's really wonderful when you discover, you know, that wonderful moment that, yes, this is someone that I want to live the rest of my life with. So the attraction factors are going to help you prepare for that moment. And these are things that you can use immediately, instantly, as soon as we talk about them and the minute you walk out of this ballroom. You can start putting these things into place. The other thing that's really important to understand is 
you know, Anastasia had the presenters for this conference read a book, which is really wonderful. It's called Intentional Disciples. And this is the very important thing about being single or in a relationship, which is people are watching you. People who don't know Christ, people who have very weak faith, other Catholics, stronger Catholics, everyone is watching you, how you live your life, how you date, and what your marriage is going to be like. Now, I'm not trying to put undue pressure on you. It's a great thing if you are Catholic and are doing things well. It's a great thing, and you will be rewarded for it when you get to heaven. So it's very important to understand that everything that we're doing up till the time that we die, people are watching. We need to be intentional disciples. We need solid Catholic marriages out there. Now, I just want to tell you a little bit about myself and why I'm standing up here talking with you. First of all, I am a contributor to the Catholic Match Institute, which is a position I love. And Brian did not buy me a drink last night, so I didn't say that <laughs> uh, for you know anything else. But it's true. I, I love working with the Catholic Match team, and it's phenomenal. So I do that, but I also, um, some years back, wrote the book Divorced Catholic, Now What?, and I wrote, directed, and produced the Voices of Hope DVD. They're complimentary items that are meant to be in support groups across the nation, helping to support the divorced and separated community in our church. And the reason why I did that is because I went through a divorce myself. In 1990, at the age of 26, I married my boyfriend of two years, who was also a Catholic but I didn't realize he was pretty much Catholic in name only. It was kind of a cultural thing. I should have known that before I walked down that altar, but I didn't. And four years later, I was divorced, very, very much against my will. Up to that point, I had lost three children in a miscarriage, and they were very traumatic episodes. The doctors were able to detect my physical problem, they were able to give me surgery to correct the problem, but then they said, sorry, the surgery rendered you sterile. So now you can carry a child, but you're not able to conceive one. I actually had less than 1% chance of being able to conceive a child. So at 30 years old, I was divorced, childless, without the hope of having children, and Catholic. That was not a great set of circumstances by any stretch. As a matter of fact, I was very angry. I was very angry with God because I committed for life. So I held up my end of the bargain, yet the state of California said, sorry. So now I had to find my way. I was single again. No one told me I couldn't date. And so I approached the dating scene with a very wounded heart, looking for consolation, looking for a remedy to my pain, looking for ease of loneliness. Essentially, I was looking for a Band-Aid. And that is the wrong reason to date. So I, for a couple of years, I was dating, and I was putting on these Band-Aids, and every time the relationship ended... The Band-Aid came off and reopened that original wound. So I was just getting more and more hurt. Finally, 
um, through the grace of God, I went to a general confession one day, and there was a man, Father Frank, priest Father Frank, who sat there and listened to me for an hour straight. He did not interrupt. He wasn't asleep, because I know that he was (laughs) just nodding his head and everything. (laughs) But he told me, he said, you may have wandered away, and you may have felt like you've been far from Christ, but let me tell you, Lisa, he had his hand on your shoulder the entire time. He was with you, he carried you, and most of all, he loves you. And those words changed my life. I realized from that point that the healing I needed was going to take place within my faith, through the sacraments, and through the annulment process, which I did go through. And a few years later, I received a decree of nullity. So there's just a little caveat here with the dating thing, because now I was free to date. But then I started thinking, well, maybe... I had those miscarriages and I got divorced because maybe God didn't want me to be married in the first place. Maybe I missed my calling. Maybe I was supposed to be a religious, a nun or something. So I started down that path kind of reluctantly because I didn't want to give up my dream of marriage. And two weeks later, God brought my husband into work in my office. (laughs) Surprise! It happens. That's what God does. And I think the lesson that I took away from that whole thing was he just wanted me to let go. I was trying and trying and trying and trying to find the right one. I would go to Mass and I would go, is that the one? Is is it him? You know. But that's not what God had in mind. He had his way and he was going to do it his way. Awesome. That's the way we should should trust in God like a, a child trusts in his father. So we're going to fast forward a little bit. Seven years after my divorce, my future husband proposes to me. And I say, hey, you know, just hold on. I can't have children, so you have to make sure that you're okay with that. I'm fine if you want to adopt, or if you're not open to that, that's fine too. But you have to be ready for that. And he said, I love you. That's fine. Let's go ahead. Two weeks after we came back from our honeymoon, I conceived our first daughter. And I just want to say, and I'll try not to cry, this is how beautiful God is and how deliberate he is. I was on a seven-day retreat, silent retreat. It was wonderful and grueling at the same time because I love to talk. So, um, (laughs) And my new mother-in-law was also a participant on that retreat. It was in Bethesda, Maryland. Two days into that, I am sick, and I am laying down on Tuesday afternoon, just feeling, you know, turning green, and I said, wait a second, I recognize this. I said, this is morning sickness, and it was hysterical because I knew without a doubt I was pregnant, and I couldn't tell anybody. (laughs) But it was beautiful because... It was me and God. God and I shared the next five days in joy and bliss and throwing up and everything. (laughs) And that was his gift to me. And he wanted to share that time with me. He wanted that. And he wanted it to sink in how great he is, 
how wonderful he is. At the end of the retreat, I hightailed it back to Atlanta, and uh, we celebrated, so it was wonderful. And we actually have three children, 21 months apart, no infertility treatments, no nothing, all God. Thank you very much, and praise God. God is so good, and so that's one of the reasons why I'm here today. He doesn't do these things just for me. I'm not the lone person who gets these wonderful gifts. He's there for you. Some things waiting for you. So trust Him and love Him, and be open to wherever He leads you, okay? It's really, really important. Okay, so back to the attraction factor. (laughs) Again, these are things that you can use right away, and these are things that are all within your control, Live life like you mean it. That was another point that I wanted to make, just that be deliberate in what you do. Live your single life like you mean it, with gusto and with happiness, and be married when it's your time with the same perspective. Okay, so the first attraction factor is being available. So if you don't mind, right next to number one, write available. An attractive person is truly free to commit to a relationship. Truly free to commit to a relationship. Now you might be sitting there going, well, I'm single, so what's the problem? Okay, this being available will mean something different to widows and widowers, to people who have been divorced, and to people who have been never married. Now let's just get to the widows and widowers. First of all, if you have lost your spouse through death, my sincere apologies. I am so sorry for your loss, and I know you have suffered tremendously. So what does being available mean to you? It means that your heart is healed. It means that you are not looking to date for consolation. That's what social relationships are for. That's what going to coffee together is, or that's what... um, you know, just going out in groups is for, or having a friend that you can talk to, that's wonderful and you need that. But if you're still grieving the loss of your spouse, you're not ready for a romantic relationship because there will always be a part of your heart, a big part of your heart, that you can't give away. And so when you get into a relationship, you need the freedom to give your entire heart. It doesn't mean that you will forget about your spouse. It doesn't mean that your marriage never existed or is inconsequential. Absolutely not. That's sacred. But it does mean you need to have moved past the grieving, the bereavement. And you need to feel ready to be able to say, here I am. You may have all of me. Now, for anyone who is separated or divorced, this has a little kind of twist to it. Availability to you means that, number one, you need to have a decree of nullity. You need to have gone through the annulment process and have a decree of nullity. Why is that important? I'll just, in a nutshell, explain it to you and let you know that Catholic Match was wonderful in offering this flyer, which is over here at the table, called the Top 10 Annulment Myths, because there are many. But in a nutshell... The annulment process is when you give the church the opportunity 
to investigate your relationship, your dating, engagement, and marriage relationship to determine if a sacramental or valid marriage bond took place on the day of your wedding. If they find that it did not, they will give you a decree of nullity. It literally is a piece of paper, and it says you are free to date and get married. It's very practical. Not to mention the fact that if you go through the annulment process, you're going to find healing there that you can't find in a therapist's office. Therapists are great. Don't get me wrong. I saw them myself. But the annulment process, I like to call it the eighth sacrament. It's very, very important for your healing and for your ability to move forward. So that's the first part of being available for someone who's divorced. And then again, the second thing, you don't want to go out looking for a Band-Aid the way I did. You want to make sure that you're past, that you have closed that chapter of your life, you've made peace with it, and you've put it away. That's how you are free to give your heart. That's what it's all about, just being free. When I stood on the altar on my wedding day and I took my vows with my husband, and I just have to say, just call him my real husband to distinguish from the first time that I did it, You know that Barbra Streisand movie, I think it's called, On a Clear Day You Can See Forever. That's what it was like standing on that altar. There was nothing holding me back. And I was so certain that this was the man for me and that this is what God wanted. And that's what I would love for you to have. That's what that experience should be like. So how about if you've never been married? Okay. What about any past relationships. Is your heart tethered to someone from your past? Is there a lack of forgiveness towards someone that you just can't let go of? Did you have, you know, breakups are messy and oftentimes we don't get to say what we wanted to say. It seems unfinished or or something like that. Do you have attachments to someone else that you're not with now? That would deter you from having a free heart ready to give. And I just want to say something about forgiveness. It goes for everyone, no matter what your state in life. If you're not able to forgive, your heart becomes like a prison. And you have little prison cells with all these people who have hurt you locked inside. And so from time to time, you open the door and you let them out and you smack them around and (laughs) you scream at them. I mean, it's true. And you you say all the things that you didn't get to say, and wow, I really told them. Then you lock them back up, throw away the key. That is not a heart ready to love. That's a heart that has space that's used to harbor resentment and sometimes hate. So these are things that you really need to look at. You need to reflect upon what is the state of your heart. Are you attached We've talked about detaching. I'm going to give you an example of a practical way. It's it's a little bit more visual um, of how you actually detach, how you cut those ties, and how you free yourself. Okay, who who has seen the movie Titanic? Again, one just about everybody. Okay, is there anyone who hasn't seen? Okay, a few. Okay, thing is, you know how it ends, right? So, no surprise, no spoiler, you know, we know how it ends. But (laughs) 
When James Cameron pitched that movie to a producer, he said, Romeo and Juliet on a boat. And that's what got the movie made. That's what hooked the producer. And so even though we already know the historic story, there's a built-in love relationship. It's Jack and Rose. So what I would like you to do is now fast forward all the way to the very end of the movie. And the ship has sunk. And it really is the very end. There are a few lifeboats out there, and one is coming back to see if there's anyone alive. And people are flailing, barely alive, they're freezing to death. And Jack and Rose found a huge piece of wood. I think it was a headboard or something. And Rose gets on it, and she kind of falls into the stupor, and Jack is hanging on the side in the water. So sometime later, as the lifeboat gets closer and Rose starts coming out of her stupor, she realizes, wow, we can be saved. So she kind of rolls over and she starts shaking Jack. Jack, 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 there's a lifeboat. Jack, 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 and he's not moving. And then she just kind of looks at him and she realizes he's dead, but she doesn't want to accept it. Jack, Jack, they're here. We can be saved. Jack, wake up. Jack. And then she accepts it. The love of her life is dead. So for an, a second, she gives up. She lays back over and just doesn't have the will to live. But then something sparked in her, and she said, I'm going to live. I'm going to live. And she turned over, and she pulled, you know, just unplucked his frozen fingers from what was saving her, that piece of wood. And in a very dramatic scene, she released him into the water, never to be found again. That, my friends, is detachment. It doesn't mean that the person is not important to you, and it doesn't mean you have to forget about them. It just means you need to forgive them if forgiveness is needed. Other than that, you just need to pry their dead fingers off of your life and release them into the ocean, never to be seen again. <laughs> Thank you. Go back and watch that movie, and that scene will be very meaningful. Very meaningful. Okay, so I would just like to offer this resolution on this part, which is just take some time, whether it's in adoration this weekend or wherever you can on your flight home or wherever you can, and really just kind of go through that Rolodex in your heart and find out who needs forgiveness and who you need to cut ties with so you can be free and available. Okay, the second factor is demonstrative. An attractive person is demonstrative. An attractive person understands the true meaning of love is service. The true meaning of love is service. Now, this is a very countercultural message. A lot of people have that Janet Jackson attitude, you know, what have you done for me lately? <laughs> it's rampant. It's amazing, you know, if you walk through the mall or some other place and you hear people talking on their phones, it's shocking how little consideration for other people people have. So an attractive person is demonstrative. They love to show 
attention or they love to serve. Okay, we're going to have a little fun and I just need two people to help me. And I promise I'll try not to embarrass you. Could I have, any, have anybody? Okay, both of you. And if you don't mind, ma'am, if you could just sit right there in that. And if you don't mind sitting right here, that would be great. Yes. And you can turn it around. That's fine. This will be quick and fun. and So I, I promise I'll try not to make it too awkward for you. But I was just wondering if you could just hold your hands up like this and, and wave your hand, arms like that. Great. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. That wasn't too bad. Okay. Just one more thing. Would you mind standing up, facing me, and clapping like applause? Thank you. That's great. <laughs> Actually, it wasn't you know, intended toward me, but OK. <laughs> now, one last thing. Would you mind standing up and picking up your chair and holding it above your head? They're doing it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> OK, you can put it down. Now. Wow, this is just phenomenal. I have done this game over and over and never have two people ever done that. And this is, this is the point that I'm going to make, but I want you to see how generous they are. That's very generous. They, there was nothing in it for them, and they did it. They probably were embarrassed doing it. <laughs> As I said, we never get that far. So usually they sit there and say, no, no, I'm not going to do that. And then I say, well, if I told you there was money under your chair, would you do that? And they go, oh, yeah. So then I say, okay, well, there's money under your chair, so go ahead and pick it up. And there is money under your chair, so you can go ahead and grab your money. I'm totally serious. I'm not lying. <laughs> if you stand up <laughs> and just kind of turn your... See, they went like this, and then they missed the whole... <laughs> Did you see it? Okay, well, it's yours. You can have it. <laughs> and you can go back to your, you can go back to your spot. Hmm. Wow, that's, see, that's what you get with a bunch of Catholics. <laughs> yes, let's give them a hand. That was really, really great. I am totally serious. I normally have to really coax people, please, just, you know, just think about it. Just try it. And then when the money comes in, you know, it proves my point, which is, you know, because we're imperfect human beings, we have that selfish aspect. We have that Janet Jackson attitude. What have you done for me? Okay, I'm trying really hard, but what are you doing for me? Okay. When it gets to a certain level of discomfort, then we back off. You're not attractive if you do that. You're just like everybody else. There are millions of people out there. Was it like six billion people in the world? Something like that. And we become just like everybody else unless we're willing to demonstrate that we're generous and that we want the good of the other person. It's so, so very important. The power of a compliment is outrageous. Think about it. When was the last time you got a compliment? Actually, again, I'm here with a bunch of Catholics, so you probably got a bunch this morning. 
But so many people go through their lives without a compliment. And I, I just thought of this um, and that I wanted to share with you. It's not a compliment, but it's on the same lines. I had a really good friend back in Atlanta who went through a rotten divorce and lost his children and just had a really, really hard time. And he said, you know, when he went to Mass on Sundays at the Our Father, when everyone would join hands, that was the first time he had been touched in a week. And that happened every week. And it really just stunned me. I mean, I remember times after my divorce where I, I just wanted a hug, anything, just something. And I, I didn't get it. I didn't have it. And living on your own, there's nothing to come home to. But this is really important, the way we treat other people. So if you want to be attractive, demonstrate that, your love for souls or just wanting to someone to feel good about themselves. And the easiest way to do that is the power of a compliment. Okay, you, sir, if you walked into your office on Monday and someone said, wow, that's a great tie, where'd you get it? How would you feel? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah. Wow, someone notices me. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So here is the, the resolution for um, this demonstrative. You can start it immediately. Compliment people. But it's not just about complimenting their appearance. It's really kind of going deeper and, and telling them how valuable they are. If you see someone do something right, compliment them. You know, uh, one thing that I love to do is um, if I see a, a military person, wherever I am, I go shake their hand and I say, thank you for your service. It's a compliment, but it's a very needed compliment. But you can start that right away and just get in the habit of noticing things about people and complimenting them. And your attractiveness will grow by leaps and bounds. The third attraction factor is being a communicator. A communicator knows how to still be a team player during disagreements and fights. Still be a team player during disagreements and fights. Now again, I know that you're single, you probably live on your own, or maybe with a roommate. So you're probably wondering, how does this really apply to me being single? Again, it's something that you can start practicing and cultivating now. So by the time you do meet that special person and you are in a relationship, you have a head start. It's so very important. People do not communicate. And I think that most people do not communicate because they are afraid of offending someone. They are afraid of their emotion coming out. There are many reasons why people don't communicate. But when you get into a relationship, that is going to be key to whether or not you can make it as a couple. There are no perfect marriages, although it seems like it sometimes. There are no perfect marriages. We are all sinners, and we're imperfect. And we bring that into a relationship. So there's going to be disagreements, and there's going to be fights. But the main thing is, and I really try and use this with you know, my relationship with my husband, no matter how tense it might get, I always want him to know I am on your team. I love you. You're my best friend. I'm on your team. So this fight, even though we might vehemently disagree, is not going to break us up. Now, I don't necessarily say those words, but over the years, I've given him that message. We'll get through it, even if it takes a few weeks to get through it. But I love you. I'm your wife. I'm on your team. 
That's very, very important to communicate. One thing that saddens me so much is when I hear other wives, other girlfriends talk about their boyfriends and they say, such an idiot. Oh my gosh. That's just... (laughs) I mean... You know, there might be things that he does to upset you, but there's things that you do to upset him, okay? So calling him an idiot, whether he can hear it or not, is just setting the wrong precedent for your relationship. I never, ever want my husband to think that I think he's an idiot. It's just demeaning to him and to us. So, you know, when you disagree or you're going through a fight, it's important to use language that speaks lovingly, even in the heat of the moment. Does that make sense? So no name calling, that's a big one. And then just no swearing. I just wanna throw this out there. Again, I am with a Catholic crowd, which is wonderful, so I probably don't even have to say it, but swearing, gosh, it just doesn't help. It just doesn't help, and I just always think, you know, I take communion into my mouth. If I'm taking our Lord and Savior into my mouth, How can I let garbage come out of it? It's a thought that I'd just like to put out there in case you're struggling with swearing because I know everybody does it. And if you don't do it, then you're looked upon as weird or whatever. But it definitely does not have place in a relationship uh, to people who are supposed to love each other dealing with each other. I just wanted to give you an example of what I mean about just even beginning the communication Sometime in the past, you know, my husband and I have gotten into the habit of sitting down with every paycheck and going through a budget. Just, you know, where is the money going to go, this paycheck? And so we know, we're both in the know. We know what happened to the money in the account. So there was, at some point, my husband said, come on, we need to sit down and do this. I know you hate to do a budget. I know you hate to do a budget. I'm like, I don't hate to do a budget. Why are you saying that to me? He said, because you get upset and you get upset. And I'm like, but I'm upset because you're upset. You're uptight when we talk about <laughs> getting my hair done. or No, um, we, he was getting uptight, but he didn't see it. And I wasn't saying anything. I was reflecting his uptightness in my just kind of seemingly being upset. He perceived me to be upset. So he thought that I was the problem. And when we talked about it, it was really him that was the problem. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it was both of us. I was just kind of like, oh, my gosh, he's going to jump down my throat. And she was like, oh, my gosh, she just hates this. So when, once we actually talked about it, everything became easier. It was easier. And that's what we need to do. We need to communicate. So, you know, what do you do if you're not in a relationship? Well, you start now with the other relationships in your life, with your friends, You know, is there any misunderstanding with a friend that you could talk about? How about work? You know, oh my gosh, the stuff that happens at work that we keep bottled up, wow. Those are things that we need to talk about so you can practice this now, right away. And you can have fun with it. Be friendly about it. Be jokingly about it. My husband, and I love him to death, but, you know, men, women are notorious for being bad drivers. Okay. Men are notorious for leaving their dirty clothes on the floor. True? Okay. So one day, you know, we were getting ready for the day, and I said, oh, Jim, come here, come here, look. This is so cool. And I went over to the hamper. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I said, I know you, you may not know this, but this is so cool, it's new, so I just want to show you. You can actually open the lid and the clothes will go in. And that's neat, isn't it? That's why we buy these things. So, and he laughed and, and we had a little chuckle and it was fun. And, and he didn't get upset, you know, he got the message and, and, and so, Communicate with the people that are important to you, with the people that you love, and get good at it, even saying the tough things that need to be said. So when you have your relationship, you're ready, you're primed, because it's going to be key. The fourth attraction factor is being devoted. And this might seem kind of obvious, but you know, if you think about, think about people that you've known in your life, that are attractive, that they draw people to themselves. And, you know, they definitely communicate and they definitely are demonstrative. They go out of their way to do nice things. And, you know, all these things that we've been talking about. But devoted, I think, is especially attractive. Because I'm not really talking about being devoted to the one you love or to your dog or something like that. I mean, you know, your work, I mean being devoted to God. Wow, is that attractive. Now, I would venture to say that you feel the same way. Otherwise, you wouldn't be at a Catholic conference, Catholic singles conference. Your faith is important to you. Now, we all have different levels of Catholicity. And I made the mistake of marrying someone who was Catholic in name only. How did I get to that point? Well, we never really talked about it. We never really talked about our faith. We did all kinds of messing around and doing stuff that wasn't important while we were engaged. We even went to Precana, but it was different than it is now. So we never talked about these things, and there came a point in our marriage where he told me, if I knew you were that Catholic, I would not have married you. And that hurt. That was the beginning of the end. And I would like to spare you that pain. Never, ever want to see anyone go through that. So be devoted to God. When I was single after my divorce, I was praying to God, please, will you just bring someone, bring me someone who will let me practice my faith without any antagonism. And what he brought me was a man who had been studying to be a priest for 11 years. And he was a super Catholic. Wow. <laughs> Again, surprise, you know, uh, God has lots of surprises up his sleeve. You know, his story is basically they kept holding him back and holding him back, and all the people in his community kept being ordained, and finally they said, look, at some point you have to realize you're not meant to be a priest. And so he had his own little version of his divorce and went through the healing process, and then we met, which was phenomenal. But that's what God does. This man is devoted to his faith. So what I'd like to tell you now, challenge you, if you're having issues with your faith, fix them. Don't be wishy-washy. Don't be a Catholic like you're rooting for a football team. Go Catholics! You know? <laughs> I know a lot of people who are it's just like, yeah, we're Baptist, yeah, or we're Catholic. Yeah, okay, I'm wearing my jersey. Got it, you know? It needs to mean so much more than that, especially in marriage, because when those really difficult times come, you're going to need your faith. So I have here two wonderful books. One is Rediscovering Catholicism by Matthew Kelly. If you've never read it, it's a beautiful book. And then my brother's book, one of them, uh, Surprised by Truth Too. 
people love his Surprised by Truth series, and they really, in a very realistic way that's approachable, answer the questions that most people have to the Catholic faith. Number five is an attractive person is magnanimous. Magnanimous meaning benevolent, high-minded, great-hearted, noble. Again, think of the very attractive people that you've known in your life. It's not just all about your hair. It's not about what you drive. It's not about your clothes. You know, I saw an interesting piece in the Huffington Post where the author of the article um, interviewed six different friends of hers and asked them how much they spend annually on their hair. The average person spent $4,000 on their hair. (laughs) I wouldn't be standing here now if I did that because my husband would kill me. But (laughs) it's not all about that. I mean, everybody loves to have great hair, but that's not what makes you attractive. Be magnanimous. Know that you were created for great things. It's the truth. God needs you here at this point in history. You were not there during the Industrial Revolution. You were not there when Socrates walked the earth. You weren't there when Christ was walking the earth. You're here today. And that means you have a purpose. If you don't know what that purpose is, discover it. Spend time in adoration and ask God to show you what is this great thing that you want me to do. It might be as a single mother raising your son or your daughter to be a holy saint. That might be it. I don't know. Only you and God know. So when you are out with people, when you're just being yourself, at work, at home, whatever. Be magnanimous. Don't forget that God has special plans for you, that you are serving a purpose. You're not forgotten. You're very loved. And let that show through when you deal with people, because that is extremely, extremely attractive. (laughs) Just as an example, I just thought that was so funny. The other day I was picking the kids up from school. Uh, All the kids and some neighbor kids jumped in my car, And my eight-year-old daughter, Monica, was sitting in the middle seat with her friend, Hannah. And Hannah was saying, Monica, when we get home, let's go over to my house because we can watch SpongeBob SquarePants. Everybody knows what that is pretty much? Yeah. Okay. And she said, well, Monica said, I don't really like SpongeBob. And Hannah said, why? It's a great show. It's fun. And she said, he's a sponge. was my eight-year-old daughter. I was like, you go, Monica. That was awesome. And it's true. It's a sponge. Why do I want to try and entertain myself with junk? I'm better than that. I'm created for better things than that. So let that be part of your attitude. You are created for great things. And an attractive person is magnanimous because he knows he has been created for great things. Look at those guys. <laughs> yeah, that dynasty. The reason I forgot that I have them in here, but the reason why I put them on there is because there is a primetime example of someone who, or people who are magnanimous. Okay? They've been poor most of their lives, just a bunch of duck hunters. They took a gift that God gave them, which is the ability to create a great duck call and probably some other stuff, and look at where they are today. And so they have this great show, and they're famous the world over. Well, But what do they spend their spare time doing? Talking about Christ. Talking about what dating is really all about. Talking about not sleeping together before getting married. 
Just phenomenal stuff. That's magnanimity. I love that, and I'm just thrilled that they're around spreading their message. So that's why Willie's up there and Sahai and everybody. Okay, so the last attraction factor is happy. And I really don't need to say too much about this. You're just happy. Who likes to be around someone who is moody and, <laughs> and you know, just has nothing positive to say, everything's a drag, or there's something wrong with everything? No one likes that. No one likes that. And if you have cultivated all these other five attraction factors, you're just going to be happy. And that is so attractive. I love being around happy people, godly people, people who just love life and, and there's, they're hopeful and everything. So that's the last one. The last point that I wanted to make was simply that in, in doing everything that we do in our life, we should always follow the example of Christ. I mean, he gave us the example in pretty much everything. So when you think about, you know, the next time you do a gospel reflection or something, think about Jesus out there in his uh, public life at the wedding feast of Cana or at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house or all the different places where he was healing people and talking to people. He attracted souls. He attracted them. Why? Because he loved them. He wanted them to get to heaven. And in the end, that's what our life should be about, loving others and helping them get to heaven. So I wanted to thank you again for your attention and your time, and I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your conference. Thank you very much. This is the completion of Lisa Duffy's talk, The Attraction Factor, Six Ways to Maximize Your Appeal. If you're interested in obtaining audio or video copies of this or other talks, please contact OFWC Media at 866-333-OFWC. That's 866-333-6392. Our email address is OFWC at TheologyOfTheBody.net. You can visit us on the web at www.theologyofthebody.net. To shop online, please visit OFWCmedia.com.